We're reading from um, Romans chapter 15, 1 through 7. Who are strong and have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the Lord and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It is my desire that we as a church continue to hear gospel testimonies about what God is doing and has done in our lives and I encourage you to do that if you want to share that, then I definitely want us to, to be mutually encouraging in that. I don't know, remember exactly when it was, Jennifer, you'll have to tell me, but uh, a while back I heard that Jennifer had shared her testimony, and some of you know parts of it. Likelihood is not many of us know all of it, as she's going to share it this morning, about what God has done and is doing in her life. And when I heard that she had gone to another church to share it, I said, why don't you tell me you would share your testimony? She said, you never asked. So I'm standing here asking you, consider this my personal invitation to you. I want us to share testimonies together and to see what God is doing in our lives. And so when I asked Jennifer to do this on uh, our Baptist Women Focus Sunday, I said, how much time do you need? She said, well, it would be pushing it for me to use 30 or 35 minutes. And I said, well, I guess that answers my question about whether I will preach today or not. So Jennifer is going to come and share her testimony. As she comes, uh, I want us to pray for her. Uh, that we would not just get caught in a story, but we would get caught in a story that's pointing to our Redeemer and our great God who is faithful and who has redeemed us for a life that is without sin, a life that is without sorrow, and a life that is eternal and not temporal. And so I'm excited about hearing, and I pray uh, that you will listen with eyes transfixed on Jesus even as we listen. So let's pray for Jennifer, and then you come share with us. Father, we thank you for gathering us here. We thank you that you have done works in many, if not all, of our hearts, Lord. We would not assume that everybody in this room, though, Lord, is a believer. So this morning, would you use this gospel testimony to show how you do move in the life of your people and how you prepare us for a life that is to come? Lord, if there are those here that do not know you, I pray today would be the day that your spirit would draw them such that they could not do anything else until they get right with you. Those of us who know you, Lord, would you encourage us by our sister and her walk with you that we might leave this place challenged and changed for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jennifer, you come. I'm very nervous. I will go ahead and tell you. I'm, I don't do this. Um, when Stephen asked me to speak, um, I quickly said yes because I know that's what I'm called to do. If God gives us a story, um, we have to share it. 
Um, but this is not what I enjoy doing. I don't like to be in front of people. So um, I just pray that the words that I speak to you will completely reflect him. Um, you know, I know some of you have no clue who I am. Some of you um, actually have walked my journey with me. Um, some of you have just heard my story. Um, but I'm going to be very real, very raw, um, very transparent, because I think that's what God would have me to do. Um, some parts of my story are very difficult for me to talk about, so I just pray I can get through it. Um, yeah, I love Christian music, and Big Daddy Weave sings a song, and it basically, a little part of that says, to tell my story is to tell of him, and that's true. Um, so... I'm just going to share a little bit of my life with you. Um, a background, um, most of you know my mom and dad are Bobby and Dolly Strickland. Um, I grew up in a, a Christian home. We were in church every time the doors were open. Um, I enjoyed church. Um, all my friends were at church. Um, I walked the aisle and um, supposedly accepted Jesus um, when I was eight years old. I don't think I really understood um, Truly what that meant, I think it was more of a make my parents proud, make the people of the church proud. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. I don't think I really understood what I was doing. Um, but as I got older, I mean, I, I remained in church, and I, I began to understand um, it wasn't about living a moral good life. It was about living a life that um, reflected Jesus, um, that pleased Jesus. Um, so as I got older... Um, you know, I, I began a relationship with Jesus, and I began to understand what that was. Um, uh, in 1998, I married Sean, um, and that's when, it's very interesting, that's when life kind of got hard. Um, you know, if anybody tells you that marriage is easy, they're not telling you the truth, because marriage is very difficult. I mean, you basically take two sinners and you put them together, and it's supposed to be great. Well, it wasn't great. Um, we struggled through marriage. Our first several years of marriage were really tough. Um, he was in school. I was working. We were separated a lot. Um, but, you know, just by God's grace and his mercy, we're still together. We've been together almost 20 years now. Um, but it was difficult in the beginning. Um, we waited probably six, I would say six or seven years before we even thought about having children because our, our marriage was tough in the beginning and that wasn't an answer is to have a kid. You know, we, we needed to work on our marriage. So we did that and probably um, six or seven years after we were married, we decided, you know, we wanted to start a family. And I always knew people had said God would test you. Hmm. Didn't really think that applied to me. Um, I knew bad things had happened to people, but nothing, you know, nothing big, nothing traumatic. Um, but when we started trying to have a child, it just didn't happen. You know, all my friends just had baby after baby, and for us, it wasn't like that. So we ended up going um, to UNC for fertility treatments, um, and believe it or not, the very first round of treatments, we conceived Mally. Um, and in 2007, Mally was born. And I thought those times were tough, you know, just just desiring a child, praying for a child, wanting a child, and not being able to have a child, you know, I thought, okay, this is God testing me, you know, totally stayed focused on him. I prayed, you know, God, if, you know, your will is for us to have a kid, then we will. Um, otherwise, you know, I'll be okay with it, but I really wanted a baby. Um, thank goodness he answered our prayer. And in 2007, 
um, Mally was born. Um, and for us, you know, life was good. We had our family. We had a child. Um, in 2008, um, we were serving here at the church. Sean was baptized in the creek down here. Um, life was really good. I mean, I will say for those few years life, I was just happy. It was good. Things were kind of the way we wanted it to be. So um, shortly after Mally was born, we decided, you know, I think even in the hospital after she was born, and it was a tough pregnancy with her, I said, I want to do that again. Like, that was amazing. I want to have more children. Um, and um, so shortly after she, I mean, was born, we started trying to have another child. Um, and believe it or not, in um, April, it's actually April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2009, I woke up and I took a pregnancy test. And mind you, this was completely unassisted. We didn't do fertility or anything like that. I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant and I was so excited. I woke Sean up. And, of course, it was April Fool's Day, and he's like, no, you're not. This is April Fool's joke. And I was like, no, really, you know, we're, we're pregnant. So um, we were so excited. That pregnancy was totally different in the beginning. Like, I wasn't sick. I felt great. I was determined. I'm like, this has to be a boy because it is so different than um, when I was pregnant with Mally. Um, so we were really excited. We were very thankful that we were going to be parents again. Um, and... I guess I was about 16 weeks pregnant, and um, I worked in the radiology field, so this wasn't a scheduled ultrasound. This was just kind of a for-fun ultrasound. I was at work one day and um, decided to have an ultrasound to see if it was a boy or a girl because I you know, really couldn't wait any longer. I just wanted to know, and I wanted to surprise Sean that night and say, guess what I found out? You know, We're having a boy or we're having a girl. So I had this ultrasound completely by myself. Um, a friend at work did it, and I could tell something wasn't right when she was doing the ultrasound because she wasn't really talking to me, and it wasn't the fun ultrasound like, look at this, and this is a girl, this is a boy, look at this, you know, oh, here's the face. It wasn't like that. It was um, very serious. Um, so I, um, I think I, it was probably 45 minutes or an hour later I knew something was really wrong. And I just, and she had told me it was a girl, so I was excited about that, but that was all she had told me. And I finally said, is everything okay? Because, you know, you're kind of being quiet. She had kind of turned the screen so I couldn't see it. And she said, um, uh, Dr. Wilson will come in and talk to you in a minute. And Dr. Wilson was one of our radiologists. He was a good friend of mine. And I thought, that's strange. This is like a for fun ultrasound. Why is he going to come talk to me? So I thought there's probably something that's not quite right. It's still okay. Um, when Dr. Wilson came in, he had tears in his eyes, and I knew this wasn't going to be good. And I said, you know, what's wrong? And he said, well, I think you probably need to go talk to your OBGYN. Um, and he threw off all these terms, and I kid you not, I like had no clue what he was talking about. And I said, just tell me is my baby going to live? Like, is she going to be okay? And he said, I can't answer that. I don't know. Why don't you go talk to your OBGYN? Long story short, mind you, I'm still by myself. Sean has no idea that I'm even having this ultrasound done. I went to my OBGYN. It was after hours by this time. Um, and she proceeded to, to tell me that it was not a good situation. Um, that our daughter um, had a condition that wasn't compatible with life. That was the term they used. And I was like, so, you know, what does that mean? 
And she said, well, you really just need to abort your baby. Um, she's not going to live, um, so you really just need to terminate the pregnancy and just try again. You know, they were very kind of cold about it. I was devastated. Now, mind you, Sean still didn't know what was going on, so we had to call him from the doctor's office um, and put him on speakerphone, and she kind of explained to him what was going on. So I drive home just really numb, not even at all knowing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I have a doctor telling me I need to terminate a pregnancy. I knew that's not what I wanted to do, but, you know, all these questions were surfacing, you know, like, does she want me to terminate because I might die? I mean, like, what, what is this all about? Um, and I honestly don't remember, Stephen, if it was that night, but I, we called Stephen. It might have been the next morning. I'm not really even sure, but we went and talked to Stephen and Jenny, and I mean, just like really in shock that we, this baby we had prayed for, um, you know, something was wrong. Um, so we talked to Stephen and Jenny, and we just kind of decided, you know, even if something's wrong with our baby, that's not our decision to end her life. Like, I wanted to be her mom, whether she was healthy or whether she was sick. I wanted to be her mom, and I wanted to give her a life of dignity. And terminating her life was not a life of dignity. That's not what God desires. So, of course, you know, we decided that that wasn't an option, that we were going to continue our pregnancy. Many of you um, that were going to church here remember remember um, that pregnancy. It was very hard. Um, I didn't know if I would carry her full term. I didn't know every day when I woke up if that was the day I was going to have her. But I knew while she was with me, she was alive. I could feel her move. She was, to me, just as normal as Mally had been. Um, my due date was in the first, I think, the first week of December. And I remember praying, God, just please let me get through Thanksgiving. And then if, um, if you want me to have her, I'll have her. But just let me get through Thanksgiving with my, with my family. Well, God's plan was different. Thanksgiving morning, I went into labor. And uh, we went to UNC to deliver her. Um, I was in labor, I don't know, probably 12 hours. And I remember the, my nurse, she was amazing. She said, you know, you, it's time. And I was like, I don't want, I just don't want to. Because I knew as long as she was with me and inside me, she was okay. That I was keeping her alive. And I was just, and I literally waited until I couldn't wait anymore, and she had to be born. Um, she was born Thanksgiving evening, and um, God was definitely with me. Um, she lived for 24 minutes. Um, and to be able to hold her and love her for 24 minutes was the most amazing experience. And I understand now that Thanksgiving was the perfect day for her to be born. God knew that because I was so thankful to be able to meet my baby, to hold her, um, to love her. And literally for 24 minutes, I did nothing but say, Hannah, I love you. I love you. 
she never opened her eyes. But the most comforting thing for me was to know that when she passed, when she opened her eyes, the face of Jesus was what she saw. Like, that was the most comforting thing ever. I mean, she knew I loved her. I had carried her for nine months, and she knew I loved her. I told that little girl over and over every day while I was carrying her how much I loved her. And for her, you know, I know I would love to have her here, but to know that she was with Jesus, that she was healthy, that she was perfect, I mean, what more could I ask for? The selfish part of me, yeah, I wanted her here. But God had other plans for her life. Um, I think during that time, I was really brought to my knees um, in just amazement of how much God loves us. I didn't want to give my child. I didn't want to give her. Up. I didn't want her life to be taken, but God willingly gave his son for us. I can't even comprehend that kind of love. I mean, I love my kids. I cherish my kids. And for God to willingly give his son to die for sinners, I mean, I think, and I still can't even comprehend that. But during those dark days after she died, I really reflected on that, that amazing love that God had for us. And truly, there were days, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to do anything but just be by myself and just be depressed. I mean, I just didn't want to function. Um, I had Mally. She was two and a half years old. I had to, I mean, thank God he gave me her first because it, it gave me the motivation to get out of bed. But I had wonderful women here at this church that prayed for me that, I mean, I told them, I said, I don't want to pray. Some of them said, tough, pray anyway, you know, read scripture anyway. Even if it's you just calling out to Jesus, help me in this moment, you know, call out to him. He will hear you. And I'm going to tell you, he carried me through that really difficult time. He showed me through my loss of Hannah what an amazing love he has for us. It's not how I wanted it, but he, you know, I think just knowing that he chose me to be Hannah's mom was such a blessing. I mean, he chose me to be her mom. He knew that I would allow her to live life. He knew that I would um, tell her story, and I, I just pray that anybody going through a difficult time understands that even through the darkest hours, he's still with you, and he still loves you, and he will give you what you need to get through it. I had so many people tell me I was strong. I was not strong. I was weak. He was strong. He gave me the strength to get through that. It was nothing of my own, because me, in my flesh, I just wanted to stop, but he gave me what I needed to get through those really dark days. Um, you know, when, when you hold your child when they're dying, that is the most humbling experience ever. But I knew even through that time, you know, God loved me and that he would help me through and that I hoped and prayed that one person 
if just one lost person came to know him because of her story, then you know what? It was worth it. You know, it really was. Um, so, you know, she died Thanksgiving Day. Um, and truly, I remember when I found out that she wasn't healthy, I said, I will never have any more children. I'm done. I don't want to do this again. I can't go through this again. Um, but God changed my heart, and and he um, allowed me the desire to have more kids. Um, and shortly after Hannah's um, death, we decided we wanted to grow our family, and we did want to try again. The doctors assured me, you know, that more than likely this would not happen again. Um, so we started... Um, trying to have another baby. Again, it wasn't happening the way we wanted it to. We tried fertility, didn't work again. So I just said, you know what, God, if you want us to have another baby, it's in your hands. Um, And I just trusted that whatever his will was, that would happen. Um, And sure enough, in um, June of 2011, Hannah died in 2009. In June of 2011, we found out we were pregnant again. I was cautiously optimistic. I was so excited, but I was very worried. Um, that we would have to go through what we went through again. Um, so we waited a while before we told anybody that we were pregnant. Um, and um, in July of 2011, it was actually July 22nd of 2011, um, I had had lunch with my mom and dad to tell them that we were expecting again, and we were really excited. Um, of course, they were excited to be grandparents again, and um, Sean had, um, was working that day. It was a Friday. And um, he had called on his way home from work. It was around 1 o'clock. He said, let's, you know, let's go tell dad, his dad, um, our good news. So we, um, I was waiting for him to come home, and we were going to go tell his dad, Travis, that he was going to be a grandpa again. We were very excited. And um, Sean should have been home around 1.30-ish, and he never came home. And that's not like Sean. If any of you know him, if he says he's going to be somewhere... He's going to probably be five or ten minutes early. He is always on time. So I knew something wasn't right, but it, my, you know, I didn't think anything major. I figured he might have got a speeding ticket because that happens quite often, um, <laughs> if you know my husband. Um, but So I was waiting by the kitchen window. I kept looking out and nothing. So my phone rings at home, and there's a gentleman on the phone. Um, I don't know who it was to this day, but he said, um, is Sean home? I said, no, he's not. And um, he said, you don't know, do you? And I said, I don't know what. He said, no, never mind. I said, no, I don't know what. You know, what, what, what's going on? And he said, it's Sean's dad. And I said, "Um, what do you mean? And he said, "Um, Sean's dad committed suicide. And I was like, no. Are you sure? He's like, I'm sure. Well, then, you know, the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzle kind of started fitting together. Sean's not home. Somebody must have called him. At that moment, I just hit my knees in my kitchen. And I just cried out to God, why? Why is this happening to us? You know, we were going to tell him we were having a baby. And now I find out he committed suicide. I called my mom. I was like, Mom, you got to come and stay with Mally. She was taking a nap upstairs. I was like, I got to find, I've got to find Sean. Um, so I didn't even know where to look, to be honest with you. So I drove towards Travis's house and I saw a bunch of cars. So I, I went and 
I saw Sean kneeling over his dad. And I knew our life would never be the same. Sean adored his daddy. His daddy was so good to us. We loved him so much. And I'm seeing my husband kneel over his dad. There was nothing I could do as a wife that loves your husband so much. There was nothing I could do for him. I didn't have the words to speak to him. All I could do is, is pray for him. And with suicide, there are so many questions, you know, the how and the why and the what was he thinking and was he thinking, didn't he love us enough? You know, you go through all those emotions and the the family dynamics with, with Sean's dad and us and um, it was just really difficult. The situation surrounding the death was really difficult and I saw my husband broken like I've never seen him broken before. He was so hurt, and there was nothing I could do as a wife to make it better. And that's when I realized, I wrote, you know, I knew the Bible talked about prayer without ceasing. And that's when I really realized what that meant. Like, truly, if I was awake, I was uttering prayers for my husband. God, just be with him today. Just keep him safe, protect him, heal his heart. I literally prayed and prayed and prayed, and so many people in this church prayed for him. And when he had amazing friends that just surrounded him with encouragement and love and just were there for every moment they could be there, Stephen and Jay, they were amazing friends to him. And there were so many times that I would text them or call them just Just pray for him today because he is not having a good day. And we struggle through, um, struggle through trying to heal from a horrible death and to, to heal the brokenness that was left because of suicide. That is, that's a hard and difficult death. I mean, it really is, um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I did pray without ceasing. I can't say I was thankful, you know, and I struggled with that. I struggled, you know, God, why do these things keep happening to us? We're, we were serving you. We were in your word. We were, you know, doing everything we could to glorify you. But why are these things happening to us? Um, I struggled with that. I struggled with being angry. I struggled with resentment. There were times I was, you know, I was angry at Sean's dad. I mean, it took me a long time to finally be able to tell Sean, I'm angry with your dad because he put us in this situation. He made a decision that has affected us, and we will never be the same because of it. You know, it took a long time to be able to even speak those words to him because I didn't want him to think I was disrespecting his dad, but I loved him, but I was so angry with him. Um, And I think through that, I really realized that I have to be totally, completely reliant on God. I have to trust 
that his plan and his will is far beyond what I can even imagine or see. I didn't understand it, but I had to trust. Um, so if you remember, you know, that particular day on June or July 22nd, we were going to tell dad, uh, Sean's dad that we were pregnant. So I was pregnant. That I was pregnant with Avery, and that was the hardest pregnancy. I was so afraid through the stress, everyday stress. And guys, I can't even articulate the stress we were under. Um, I was so afraid I was going to miscarry her because I was, I was worried about my husband. There were so many things going on around us that I couldn't control. And I was just worried. And I'm typically not a worrier. I don't worry about things. I just put it in God's hands. I pray about it and I let it go. But I was in the middle of it and it was so hard and I, I felt like I just couldn't let it go. I felt like if there was just one little piece I could control that it would be better. Um, but then I realized I can't control any of it. I can't control my husband. I can't control the, the, the other family members. I can't do anything about this. So I just had to let it go and give it to God and say, God, protect him. God, heal his heart. Heal our family. Um, and I just had to be reliant on him. Um, by the grace of God, Avery was... Born in February of 2012, she was perfectly healthy, you know, and I know while I was pregnant with her, I'm like, God, why, you know, we wanted a baby like a year ago, why now, why am I pregnant with her right now through all this stress, but when she was born, it was perfect timing, God knew that we would need this beautiful life to help heal us, to bring joy back into our family, and that little Sweet child was born in February of 2012, and sweet child, yes, you are a sweet child, um, most of the time, um, and God has used her life to, to just bring us joy and to help heal the brokenness of our family, um, and so she was born in 2012, um, and probably a year after she was born, um, i got to check my time because Stephen said I can't go over. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, probably a year after she was born, um, any of you that know me know I complained all the time because my back bothered me. My back bothered me. My back hurts. Um, I really thought most of it was because I had had a couple of kids and, you know, that just happens. Um, but about a year after she was born, I noticed um, there was, you know, a lump in my back. Um, really didn't think a lot of it in the beginning. Um, and I guess, I don't know, maybe a few months after I noticed it initially, I noticed it kept getting bigger. So I thought, man, I might need to go to the doctor. I went to probably five or six different doctors and everybody gave me a different, different diagnosis. Um, so I really still wasn't sure what was going on. Um, finally in, um, I guess it was August, 2014, um, I finally had an MRI, which I wish I'd have done like a year earlier, almost two years earlier. Um, and uh, when I had the MRI done, um, it was, I used to, I mean, I worked at Wake Radiology and I went to where I used to work and I knew, um, I knew something wasn't right um, while I was having the scan because number one, the scan was taking a very long time. Um, 
And I knew when they gave me contrast, that wasn't a good thing because they hadn't planned to give me contrast. And I knew anytime we gave contrast meant they saw something they needed to kind of brighten up and kind of maybe um, be able to see it a little more clearly. Um, so um, after I had the MRI, the radiologist, he was a friend of mine, um, said, I'm not really sure what this is. It is a tumor. Um, not 100% sure what it is, but if you were my wife, you'd be having surgery tomorrow to get it out and figure out what it is because it looks angry. Um, basically, what he meant was this tumor, I think it was about the size of a, probably a baseball. It had tentacles that were growing out, um, and he said it just it looks angry, and we you needed to have something done. So, um, um, again, by the grace of God, I went to a surgeon who was booked up for months when I went to see him. Um, but he said, you know, yeah, I can do the surgery, but it's going to be a few months before I can do it. Um, as I was sitting there talking to him, he had a patient cancel. And he said, well, if you want to have surgery next week, we can do it. So I'm like, yes, let's go ahead and do it. So I had surgery um, in August of 2014. Um, they removed the tumor. Um, he still wasn't sure what it was. They sent it to pathology, who sent it to another pathology department, who sent it to another pathology department, which I knew... Um, that probably wasn't a good sign um, because nobody could really tell me what it was. Um, and I honestly don't remember how long it took, but it seemed like forever. They finally called me back and um, told me it was aggressive fibromatosis. Um, and that's all they said. And I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? Like, am, well, am I supposed to go see somebody else? He's like, well, he was kind of nonchalant about it, you know. Um, I, think you're, I think you're good. And I was like, okay. More research I did, I think I needed to follow up with somebody. So anyway, long story short, I found a wonderful doctor um, at Duke um, and uh, started going to the cancer centers at Duke. And they said, you know, yes, you definitely need to see a sarcoma specialist. We're happy to help you. Um, this is a very rare disease. I think two people per million per year are diagnosed with it. Um, what I had read online had kind of made me feel okay because it didn't seem to be bad. So I was like, you know, we're good. Um, had my three-month follow-up MRI, and the tumor was back, and it was growing very quickly. Um, so the medical oncologist at Duke um, started trying um, really conservative treatments, medication, that sort of thing. Um, and we did short-term follow-ups, and the medication wasn't working. So um, he's like, you know, Let's think about chemotherapy. I didn't really know um, if I wanted to do chemotherapy because the research I had done basically said chemo might work, it might not work. It wasn't, you know, it was a really rare disease. They don't have a lot of treatments available for it. Um, so um, I just started praying, God, show me what you would have me to do. Show me, you know, if you want me to do chemo, I'll do chemo. If you don't want me to do anything, I won't do anything, but just show me what to do. Um, of course, more research online. Um, found a wonderful support group of people that have this disease and um, found a girl that lived in California that had had this investigational treatment, and she was doing fantastic. I thought, well, maybe I want to do that. So I just researched it a little more. It is investigational, you know. More than likely, obviously, insurance isn't going to cover it. Um, 
but I thought, what? Well, why not? You know, I emailed the doctor. I found the doctor that did it. I found his name. I found his email. So I emailed him on a Saturday afternoon and just kind of said, this is my situation. Do you think I'm even a candidate for it? Never expecting to hear back from him. Um, and literally like 10 minutes later, he emailed me back and said, I would love to talk to you. Um, send me your records Monday morning and um, we'll see what we can do. So that was in August. And by October, I was in California at Stanford um, having an appointment with him. He said I was a great candidate for it. He told us the risk involved. He said, but a huge hurdle is going to be insurance because this is investigational. Insurance probably isn't going to pay for it. And unless you own, like, several oil fields, you're not going to be able to pay for it either. Um, So um, I started praying about it. God, if this is what you would have me to do, just open the doors for me. Um, If it's not what you want me to do, close the doors. Like, just... I want to do what you want me to do. I was worried because um, at this time I had found the support group and I realized the severity of this disease. Um, people that were on the support, in the support group, I mean, like it seemed like every month another friend of ours, were, you know, they died from this disease. Children that had this disease. I mean, it was just horror stories. And I knew it was, it was, it was serious. Um, the location of my tumor Um, you know, by this time it had invaded my hip. It had grown very close to my spine and that was going to be the game changer. If it ever made it to my spine, I wasn't going to be a candidate for this investigational treatment and there wasn't going to be a whole lot anybody could do for me. Um, so, you know, time was of the, the essence here, but, um, the doctor at Stanford said, why don't you start chemotherapy, start the drugs Duke's talking about, And you do that until we can hopefully get your insurance to cover it. And they had said it would take probably a year or more to get insurance, maybe to cover the procedure. Um, Again, I didn't want to do chemo because, I mean, I have kids. And this chemotherapy is not a short-term fix. Like, I would be on it for years. I would be very sick. Um, I wanted to be able to take care of my family, and I just didn't feel good about it. But I prayed about it and said, God, if that's what you want me to do, just make it clear. Well, he made it very clear what he wanted me to do um, because that appointment was in, in October. In November, it was actually my mama's birthday, November 20th, the doctor at Stanford called back and said, your insurance has approved this, so let's get you scheduled to come out for this procedure. So I felt really good about it. This is what God wants me to do. Um, so we made all of our reservations, um, and we were going to fly out in January, January 6th, um, 2016 to have the procedure. The day that we were flying out, um, I was in the kitchen and the doctor from Stanford called and um, he said, are you still coming? I said, of course I'm still coming. I mean, I was excited. Um, This treatment showed a lot of promise. And he said, well, um, your insurance actually denied it. They're not going to pay for it. And I was devastated. Like, God, this must be you closing this door. Like, I'm not going. If they're not going to pay for it, that's God saying, I don't want you to do this. So I called my mom. I said, you know, Mom, they're not paying for it. I think God doesn't want me to go. I'm just not going. She's like, you need to go. I said, but if I'm not, you know, if I'm not doing what God wants me to do, I'm not going to do it. So I hung up with my mom, and I just started praying. I said, God, I just need to hear from you. I need you to show me what to do because I'm torn. Um. I don't know what to do. Um, I was in tears, just begging to hear from God. And 
Within 10 minutes, my phone rings again. It's the doctor at California. He said, this is the craziest thing ever. This has never happened before. But I just talked to your insurance company, and they said they would pay for it 100%. Don't worry about it. Come to California. So we got on the plane, and we went to California, and I felt so good about it. I'm usually a terrible flyer. Right, Jay? I throw up. I'm not good. I'm real nervous. But I was so excited. Um, Sean did get sick on that flight, and he threw up the whole time. But nevertheless, um, we get to California, and um, it was just amazing to see God just working everything out. I mean, just, we got there. I was at such peace. The nurse I had was amazing. Um, Dr. Gunini came in, and he was, of course, going over everything with the, um, um, with the procedure with us. And he said, he looked at my back again. He said, I just need to let you know. You need to make a decision. If you want me to be very aggressive with your treatment, um, I'm going to have to treat through the surgical scar that's there, and you're going to have extreme burns on your back, um, third-degree burns that will probably need, um, you know, a burn specialist. It's going to probably take probably years to really heal. Um, but if that's what you want me to do, we can do it. Um, if I treat around it, you're going to have really bad blistering, but not the third-degree burns. Um, Sean and I discussed it. We said, you know what, we're here. This is a one-shot deal. Let's do it. You know, if I have to go to a burn specialist and I have to have, you know, surgeries to correct the burns, who cares? Let's just kill this tumor. Um, So we went ahead. We did the procedure, and I really don't remember a whole lot about it other than being very sick. He got me back to the hotel. The next morning I woke up and like, I had to use the bathroom, so I jumped up out of bed and went to the bathroom. Sean's like, wow, you're moving really good. I was like, I feel pretty good. So my doctor calls and said, you know, I need to know how the burns are on your back. How bad is it? So I had Sean look at my back, and he's like, there's not even a blister, like nothing. Um, I was like, wow. You know, I knew people were praying, but this is unheard of. Like I had friends that had this procedure done, and they were, I mean, guys, you don't understand how nasty the burns were. They are horrible. I mean, they're still having treatment for their burns. And I didn't even have a blister. I mean, it was red and it was a little swollen, but not even a blister. It's like, God, you're so good to me. Like, I can't believe this. Um, So he was able to kill 99% of the tumor. Um, I still go back for short-term follow-ups because there's still a little area they're watching. But, um, I mean, he... He answered my prayer in such a big way from the insurance, from even finding this procedure to, like, having this procedure with zero complications and back to my normal activities within a couple of weeks. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, you know, I, I struggle. I still struggle because I'm still in the support group. And I see still, I see people dying from this. I see people just fighting for their life for this. I see people that have lost limbs, and they they can't walk, they can't take care of their kids. And I feel so guilty because I'm like, God, why did you allow me this amazing opportunity? Like, why were you so good to me when I see these people struggling? And they can't take care of their kids. But he has given me such a gift, and I'm so thankful that I can take care of my kids. I can lift my kids now. I can play with my kids now. And I don't take it for granted because I know next month I could go to the doctor and it could be bad again. I don't think it will be, but it could be. But I'm so thankful that he has given me, you know, 
this time that I can just be normal and I can play and I don't have any deficits. And I see all these people now that have gone through multiple surgeries and the chemo and the radiation, and they're not even candidates for the treatment I had. And then I, you know, a guy that I'm friends with, he had the treatment and he has the horrible burns and he had another surgery this week because of the burns. And he's like, you know, why did you not get burned? Because people were praying and God answered our prayers. That's why. You know, during, um, during all the recoveries from the surgery and that sort of thing, I listened to a lot of messages online and J.D. Greer is one of my, one of my favorites and he um, preached a sermon on, you know, choices. You know, when you go through hard times in your life, when you go through really traumatic, trying times, you have a choice to make. You can run away from God and push him aside or you can run to God. I made the choice to run to God, but this is what he said in his message, and I, and I just love this. He said, I choose not to fear because God is with me. God is with you. When you're down on your knees and you can't even see the sunshine, God is with you. He's right there with you. He's carrying you. I choose not to doubt because God is in control. I had to understand through Hannah's death, through Travis's death, through my sickness, that God is in control. None of this surprised him. He is in control of it. I choose not to despair because God is good. God is good. When I buried my daughter, he was good. When we buried my father-in-law, God was still good. And when I got this wonderful treatment that has given me my quality of life back, God is so good. He's good no matter for going through hard times or for going through great times. He is good to us. That is his nature. He is good. Um, I'm going to end with two, um, two things that I read that um, really spoke to me. The first, it says, the deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of the pain. Thanking God during the trials, trusting him when we're tempted to lose hope, and loving him when he seems so distant and far away. At my lowest, God is my hope. At my darkest, God is my light. And at my weakness, God is my strength. And at my saddest, God is my comforter. Um, John Piper um, said this, he said, occasionally we weep deeply over the life you hoped would be, grieve your losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. When you're in the middle of the trial, take your eyes off the storm and put your eyes on him. He will carry you through. At your darkest, he will carry you, and he's with you at the birth of your children, or the greatest things that's going on in your life, he's with you. And I just pray that if any of you are walking through a hard time, or if you're celebrating whatever it is you're celebrating, that you just keep your eyes focused on him. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. Listen to the word of our great God. What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who could be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Word of God.